Welcome to the Business of Security podcast, episode number two. Your host is Ron Warner. Today, he will be talking with Rob Baldy, Director of Cybersecurity Audit at Equifax. Now, let's get to it. industry need to start talking about that we're not doing today. Information technology is built on a horrible foundation. If we could sort of redo and start from the beginning, we would be so much better off. If you don't invest in it, keep it running, it will blow up. We also have to be able to go in with solutions, not just problems. We have a long way to go if we're going to win this fight. At the end of the day, educated people are really the best countermeasure against all the threats, the threats, the threats, the threats. Welcome to the Business of Security podcast. I'm your host, Ron Werner. With me today is my guest, Mr. Rob Baldy. Rob is the Director of Cybersecurity Audit for Equifax. He also teaches cybersecurity for Bellevue University. As a quick reminder, the views set by our guests are their own and not the views of his employers. Welcome, Rob. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure to sit and chat with old friends like you, Rob. You've been in the cybersecurity career field for over 20 years doing almost anything related to cybersecurity. What have you seen that has changed the most in your long-time career? I would say that initially, if you look at things in the mid to late 90s and as they transitioned in the early 2000s, there's a lot of emphasis that's been placed on the traditional orange book or people that you know, that were exposed to the Department of Defense style information security under the core concepts of password management and making sure you have foundational baselines of your security systems and their traditional roles. But I think that today, uh, obviously, there's a lot of focus and emphasis on transitioning to the cloud and reliance on third-party providers. I think that's one of the, the major shifts in how we approach business from an information technology perspective. And as such, information security has to keep adapting as we as business leaders keep changing and looking for technology to help make our companies more efficient. Really, the reliance on the third parties and how we can manage those and make sure that they're protecting our data and making sure that the people's data that we're entrusted with are dealt with securely. That's a great insight how things have changed over the years regarding the cloud. Is there something you look for when addressing a cloud provider's security? What questions should we be asking our cloud providers? Specifically with cloud, you know, the old adage joke is, you know, the cloud is somebody else's computer, which is the truth. But in reality, you know, when you look at a cloud service provider, you want to know if your data is stored with other people's data. You know, they talk about the cloud burst exposure, which is a type of attack where somebody might be targeting one company that's in a specific cloud or AWS system or within a Microsoft Azure environment. But in reality, you know, if, if one person was able to get access to that one environment and your system was hosted there, you're basically going to be exposed to that risk just because you're hosted with that same thing. When we talk about cloud, you want to understand from business aspect when you're planning, you know, what your requirements are, what your uptime requirements are. You understand what level of patching you're getting and you want to understand what your exposure is if you're going to be hosted with other providers. There's a lot of different vendors that now offer different levels and tiers of support. So you can pay extra to get patched within 24 hours, patched within 48 hours, patched within 72 hours. You know, there's different levels of support in terms of you can have your own dedicated private cloud versus being exposed in the public cloud. 
And of course, there's also the service level agreements that I've kind of just alluded to and those answers. But there's also, you know, when we talk about with the SAS 70, or if you look at the SA 18 or the new models of attestation where an external third party comes in and audits the cloud provider to give their customers assurance that they're configured the way they're supposed to be. All too often, people just pay for the service and they don't ever do the due diligence to request those reports to make sure things are good. Uh, there's not always a clean report. Sometimes those extra loggers find issues and note them in the report and they aren't challenged by the customers. And it's our responsibility as business leaders to actually make sure that the third parties we're hiring are doing what they're supposed to. One of the things people don't talk about a lot is the fourth party. You may be hosting stuff in a third-party environment, and they may be using, for example, Iron Mountain or somebody else to do secure destruction or offsite storage. You know, you then have to go the next layer deeper and make sure the third and the fourth party are doing what they need to do to protect your data. Almost sounds like it takes a good lawyer to help develop the contracts as part of the cloud services. Is that what you see as well, is that you have to have the ability to read contracts and develop the contracts and work through the contracting questions with these third and now even fourth parties? That is absolutely the case. I've seen that, you know, in my years consulting with Booz Allen Hamilton and in my previous roles, my last few companies, that typically it's very common to have a couple of attorneys in your vendor management process. And that's part of their role is to make sure that the vendors are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And if you don't, it's highly encouraged that you at least seek outside you know, legal assistance reviewing those contracts and the service level agreements before proceeding forward. So we need to be friends with our attorneys. That's a great advice. Do you see the cloud as being maybe your biggest challenge with IT audit or, or do you see other challenges associated with your role and the roles you've had in the past as an IT auditor? You know, the, the roles of IT audit challenge is, is kind of unique. Um, you know, traditionally, the role of IT audit is the, under the traditional internal audit umbrella where we are a uh, independent party. We're employed by the companies that we work for, but in the role of IT audit, you're representing the audit committee and the members of the board that make up the audit committee for publicly traded companies if it's a, if it's a publicly traded entity. And you're providing them assurance independently that the company's controls and the things that they have in place, like their security posture, are adequate. And in cases where it's not configured as such, you're providing reports to them in a timely manner, giving them independent feedback on areas for opportunities for improvement. Um, one of the challenges I would surely say is the cloud. Uh, it depends on the nature of the business and how much they have outsourced to the cloud versus how much is done in-house. I honestly, from my perspective, see cloud auditing to be somewhat easier than some of the internal systems, only because if you look at Amazon, you look at Microsoft, and you look at some of the biggest cloud providers, they've made it very easy to understand how their systems work and to do audit trail logs and to go through and see how systems are done and to make sure that they have things configured out of the box. It's easier to learn those common core technologies versus having to learn the unique aspects that might be in legacy mainframes or legacy configured systems with custom software that a business has developed. The more we get into a common, you know, if you look at Microsoft Azure, or you look at AWS, and you look at Hadoop, and you look at the common core technology stacks that people are implementing right now, those are getting to be standardized so that auditors can streamline their knowledge in those areas and be proficient, which makes the auditor able to audit those areas very comfortably. 
Sounds like it's great advice. Make the auditor's job easy and he or she will make your job easier. But what I've sometimes seen with my role, and you I don't know if you've seen it because you've held both IT audit and cybersecurity roles, audit and security don't always see eye to eye. What do you recommend that security and IT audit folks can do to better work together to collaborate for the success of a business? That is a great question, Ron. I've seen this in multiple ways. I've done both sides of the fence by doing red teaming for my contracting role at Blue Town Hamilton and then doing blue teaming, you know, as a network defender, as a reservist in the military, doing information security and, and being in a security operations center and now being in an internal audit role. I can totally understand that the limited resources that the CISO and the personnel underneath them is limited to make sure that the company is doing all that they can to protect you know, the business entity from their unique risks and challenges. And the last thing they need is an internal auditor coming in saying, hey, we want to sit down with you for another you know, 16 hours over the course of the next week to understand how these different things work and understand what a SIM is. Um, I think one of the challenges that we have in the internal audit community is making sure that our auditors are competent on the technologies that they're reviewing. You know, you can't just have any IT auditor come in and do an assessment of the SIM or do an assessment of, you know, data loss prevention. You actually need somebody to understand, you know, whether it be Semantic or McAfee or whatever the vendor is, how DLP controls work, you know, understanding how restrictions of USB drives, how restrictions of website stuff happens. They have to understand how to properly test those things versus just looking at the console configuration to make sure that you're adequately protected. Uh, from the from the recommendation piece of how they can work together, I typically look at the information security and audit and governance frameworks and look at the three lines of defense, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but just to recap for listeners, you know, the first line of defense is typically the control owner, which would be the business unit. So if IT, for example, at your company is responsible for you know, setting up new user accounts, provisioning people to be domain administrators, patching systems and things of those nature, IT would be responsible for those controls. The next line of defense, the second line of defense is going to be information security or risk management or the compliance teams that come in and make sure that the first line is doing what they're supposed to. So information security can then use different tools like Qualys or Nexpose or Nessus to do vulnerability scans of the systems to make sure they're patched. They can make sure that the access logs are appropriate and that, you know, only people that are domain admins are supposed to be domain admins. They can make sure those controls are working appropriately. The third line of defense is internal audit. You know, we're the last line of defense in the internal audit role to make sure that the first line of defense is patching. The second line of defense is doing the vulnerability scans to make sure that nothing is missed. And then the internal audit is the last line before our external regulators or a breach were to occur. So internal audit is kind of that, that last check mark. And they've got, you know, a large task of things to review while also not being responsible for the control. They're responsible for letting the, the board of directors and the audit committee and the executives be made aware of controls that are working great. And it's great. We can issue audit reports saying everything is, is perfect and operating the way it's supposed to. Uh, but we can also be the people that step up and say, hey, information security doesn't have the resources they need, they don't have the tools they need, or we have opportunities for improvement. And we're the ones that really can partner with information security and sit down if we see observations or opportunities for improvement and say, hey, these are areas that aren't operating the way that we're supposed to. 
let's actually look at the mathematical formula for risk and look at, you know, okay, so this is the threat. These are the mitigating controls. What's the real risk to the company? How much is it going to cost to fix this, depending on which mitigation technique we're going to use or different tool we're going to buy or different control that we're going to implement that might be manual in nature. And let's make some recommendations to the board and let them be the final say so. You know, obviously, the CISO has a lot of resources they can tap into. Uh, they can work with the IT teams to proactively do things from the, the IT side to do things smart. And they can also leverage their teams to put mitigated controls or manual controls in place to, to stop things. But they can also use internal audit as consultants to either help them do consulting directly on areas where they see risk, or they can also use internal audit to tap into the budgets that they have to bring in outside resources to audit you know, specific areas. So I really think if, if there's a lot of collaboration between the three entities over the three different lines of defense, they're all fighting for the same thing. They all have the same goal of protecting the company and the company's resources and making sure that the shareholder value is being protected, that the customer data is being protected, and they're all on the same team. And to that extent, the external regulators are too. They want to make sure that the company is running according to different requirements, whether that be PCI or if it's you know, something that's over in the UK, the new GDRP, you know, it, it just depends on where the company is located, but they have the best interest as well, you know, in, in terms of the regulation perspective, protecting the customer and protecting the shareholders. So we're all in the same, the same aspects and the same teams. We're just looking at it from different angles. And that goes for risk management and compliance as well. We are all looking at the same thing about, are we doing the right thing? How can we make things be better? How can we protect our customer data? Wow, you covered a lot of great points there about how IT audit and security really do need to collaborate, work together, and how security can leverage the IT auditors to help them sell what they need to have done to help protect the business. Great ideas. What do you do to keep up your IT and IT audit and cybersecurity skills? Because that was one of the points you made is that you have to be knowledgeable in what you're auditing and what you're doing. So we need to stay current with technology and the latest processes. Do you have any tips or tricks you have for either new cybersecurity folks or IT auditors or even those who are experienced? Anyone entering the information security field, I mean, obviously from day one, you should have the expectation that this is an always changing field. Um, kind of as how you started off this, this interview, you know, how has the field changed? I mean, the stuff that you're learning in the 90s isn't the thing that's going to happen, you know, 10 years ago or even today. Some things are. Uh, like password management, user user management, asset management, you know, and patching, you're always going to be changing to learn the, the latest things. The biggest thing is staying plugged in in communities. You know, if you're local, if you're fortunate, if you're listening to this podcast and you're in the United States, there's a lot of different DEF CON groups you can be a part of. There's local ISACA groups if you're an auditor. There's ISD squared if you're a CISSP or if you're pursuing that certification that you can join in your local communities and cities. If you can't do those, there's lots of things you can do to get plugged in with FBI InfraGuard offices, depending on the state that you're in. And you can stay plugged in at, at the government level from that perspective if you want to join InfraGuard. There's lots of different community sources where you can actually engage other professionals and seek out mentorship and seek out you know, somebody to speak with within circles, finance and the public sector and the private sector and government. 
I haven't been plugged into all of those continually over my career. I know you have two, Ron, because we go to some of the same meetings. But it's being able to leverage the talent of other professionals that we work with to learn from them and to stay current about how other companies are doing this. Um, I think one of the other big things is I've had the opportunity, and I would encourage other people to do this, is Chapman House rules and different engagements. So you can you can set up basically lunches or collaboration venues where you meet with other people at your level, whether that be a manager, director, or CISO level, where you can sit down and, and go through some of the challenges you're facing, have them be off the record, where it's not attributable to your company, and saying, hey, this is something we've been seeing. How do you address those concerns? You know, we want to talk about, for example, the uh, the fake president fraud, where people are calling up and saying, hey, um, the CEO has said that we're going to purchase this company and we have to have the funding, you know, sent to this wired account number by the end of the day, or we're not going to be able to close on the transaction and putting those stress factors on there with the fake president fraud. Like, how are we fixing that across the industry versus just in one company? That is also one of those things where people can share things about what controls they're putting in place from an accounting perspective and not necessarily from an IT or security perspective, but it's in defense of the company, it's related to security, it's bishing and smishing and phishing (laughs) and those techniques and those things. And you make a great point, and it's not anything specific to one particular company, but happening pretty much to all organizations so we can feed off of each other's ideas and collectively try to solve the problems. You're going to add something, too. For myself, I listen to different podcasts, like one we're listening to right now, uh, trying to understand, you know, what are the ever-changing things, you know, that are out there, uh, reading articles, following Brian Krebs, and a lot of information I, I consume from Daniel Meissner, he actually publishes a bi-weekly newsletter of all the latest information security things that are happening in the industry. And he does a great job in addition to SANS. Both those resources publish, you know, the succinct, you know, couple sentences to summarize the article and then the hyperlink to follow to get more information. It's one of those things I bring up to the high school students I mentor to somewhat depress them, but homework begins after you graduate be a good professional. You should always be reading, studying, learning the next new thing, and talking to others who are as smart or smarter than you are and learn from them. We can all learn from each other and build each other. Now a word from our sponsor, TrustMap, the business management system for security leaders. Let's hear from Aaron Pritz, president of Aaron Pritz & Associates, as he identifies how TrustMap provided a real solution to a real problem. My biggest problem was I inherited um, the incumbent GRC solution, which felt like from you know an ex-auditor to come up with some pretty r- simple risk assessments to assess against a standard operating procedure or a uh, you know NIST control framework, things like that. You know, it would take months and hundreds of thousands of dollars, cumulative to millions of dollars, to put what I would describe as, you know, uh, a, a glorified spreadsheet. I've heard other CISOs use that term. I can't quote, <laughs> I can't uh, claim credit for that term. Uh, and it's not a positive light term. I was introduced to TrustMap. I actually found some stuff online as I was um, spending some time over the holidays looking for the biggest problems that I had faced in information security risk management. And really unmet needs and how those could be solved in different ways. And I've got a caveat that I'm not a go buy another tool type of advocate. In fact, I think there's too many tools in information security. And I think 
we need to do more to consolidate tools versus just keep adding them on. If you wrap all of the stuff that I just set up into one package, I would say if you want to do very effective assessments and set those up with little to no overhead, uh, make them align to maturity frameworks, GDPR, CSF, anything that you want that's standard and basically have a very interactive assessments that you can get results back, have control owners. You've got your assessment thing solved in way less time and spend than doing something like Archer or really any of the other GRC products. I would not qualify TrustMap as a GRC. I think they do some GRC-like things, um, but I would say that they're everything that GRC wanted to be but didn't get there. We'll come back later in the podcast to hear more from Aaron about his experience with TrustMap. For now, listeners of the podcast should know they can schedule a free trial of TrustMap at trustmap.com slash business. Now let's get back to the show. You mentioned DEF CON as both a local group, but you went to the DEF CON and Black Hat this year. Were there any sessions that were most memorable to you? Talk to us about your Black Hat DEF CON experience this year. Uh, Black Hat and DEF CON, some, some people will nickname it the Hacker Summer Camp. Uh, Black Hat's more focused on business professionals, CISOs, directors, managers, uh, and people in app, AppSec and different different areas of information security. Um, you know, if you've not gone before, picture, you know, khakis and polos, and that is primarily the, the venue and a very professional environment. Lots of opportunities to attend whatever talk you want. DEF CON is more hands-on. Um, there's a, a much larger, larger audience a cache at the door to get your badge. And I would say there's a lot more opportunities to dive into the many different areas of information security. Um, specifically, you can go and you can focus on whether that be penetration testing or network defense, car hacking, the voting village, you know, where you can hack voting machines. Um, so there's a lot more things and contests and things that you can participate in at the DEF CON level. Um, I would say for the talks that I went to, um, some of the best talks I went to, uh, honestly, were one of them was by Chris Roberts, uh, who actually gave a talk in the social engineering village that Chris Haggerty and his team from social engineering um, set up. And Chris was very, very good at presenting some of the basics and getting back to the basics. And just to capture a couple of his points, you know, one of the things he asked is, how many of you were just at Black Hat? you know, a couple of days ago, and how many of you talked to vendors about solutions to your problems and tools you can buy to fix them? And lots of hands in the audience went up. And then he asked the next question of how many of you know where all your assets are in your network? And not a single hand in the room goes up. Because how many of you are patched to current on all of your stuff and not a single hand in the room goes up? And he's got a point that if you can't get the basics done, if you don't know where, where your assets are, if you can't keep them patched, you have no business, you know, trying to go to the next layer of the onion. It's kind of going back to the CSC top 20 controls and making sure those are solid first before you start buying, you know, the threat simulation things and other stuff that that is kind of further down the road in the defense and debt onion, right? So that was that was one of the core talks that I th- thought was great. Uh, Sean Metcalf, if anybody doesn't know who Sean Metcalf is, He's really big in and information security focused on Microsoft. He's been somebody who gives back to the community over and over every year, brings his A game for presentation things. And he had some really great feedback uh, in some of the Active Directory talks he gave at both Black Hat and DEF CON. Specifically, one of the biggest things he tackled this year that I had a chance to follow up with him on after the talk was over 
is service accounts. And the way the Active Directory is set up is, you know, you have all these different things that you put in place and you restrict people to be the least privileged and you have hopefully only a, a small group of domain administrators and enterprise admins. Uh, but at the end of the day, the vulnerability scanning tools and some of the other tools, even like CyberArk and others, still need service accounts and they still need to be able to log into things that do authenticated scans. And it's, it's looking at how do you implement that correctly and how do you make sure that you know, service accounts aren't being abused across multiple domains and, and what's a good strategy for dealing with that? You know, one of the outcomes from that discussion was, hey, you know, one of the things that he and his team do is they literally enable a service account only for a period of time for the change control ticket, and at the end, you shut it down. So they're only enabling service accounts to be active for the change ticket window when they do their scans, and then they disable the account. That way, nobody can misuse the service account between when the scans occur, you know, in that one example. Now, that's very labor-intensive, and there's lots of things that go into that, but that's just one scenario. Um, I, I'd say the next, the, the, the last talk that was probably one of the best was the one that put, was put on by Duo Security. Uh, they actually had a panel of several folks that were talking about the, the complexity of very, very near and dear things to our, to our, to our industry on user management as an example and saying, hey, do we address user management by helping to design applications and operating systems to be, you know, user-proof, whether you, you can't click on hyperlinks by accident or you can't expose yourself to risk, or is it really focused on end-user training and then rewarding people for, you know, not clicking on things and then rewarding people for reporting things or phishing attempts. Um, so there's a lot of back and forth across the board uh, with different people that are part of those panels, but at the end, I think the answer was a little bit of both. You know, we need to get better at designing applications and designing security things to be appropriate and being designed so that users can't put the companies and themselves at risk. And I think it's a little bit of, you know, if you get a phishing email, or you suspect something to be phishing, you know, taking that email and forwarding it to the security operations center and the first person that reports it, you know, if they get a $50 gift card or they get some sort of compensation and then public recognition by the company, by the CISO or CEO, that goes a long way. And that makes it so that everybody's hypervigilant and saying, hey, I want my $50 Visa gift card. You know, whenever I see a phishing email that looks not right, I'm going to be very quick to report that because I want the opportunity to get that money like Joe or Jan or whoever did who got the gift card the last time. And companies are spending literally only a couple thousand dollars a year to implement a program like that versus the, the expense that's associated with cleaning up from a phishing event. So the idea is like gamification and providing those incentives by the, from the company to, for everyone to be involved with security. I love that idea. And you've actually given a talk on the idea of wargaming, how we can use that to better understand data breaches. I saw that from your LinkedIn profile. Maybe if you could talk to us about your talk uh, you gave on wargaming and how that can help us better understand data breaches and what business leaders can learn by wargaming within their own organizations. Sure. Uh, so wargaming is something that's near and dear to my heart. It's something I've been working on in my career over the past 10 years. And it really, you know, it stemmed out of having the opportunity to work for some great leaders under Booz Allen Hamilton that actually wrote a book on wargaming. And specifically, initially, it was focused at the Department of Defense. And we were looking at, okay, here's 
what's happened to other countries from a cyber attack perspective, how would the United States fare if those war game initiatives happened to us? And working through different scenarios where we come up with, you know, the different events and we'd say, hey, this happened to country A. Okay, if that happened to us, how would we respond? And we would set up the entire environment and find out exactly what would happen. Because you can list all your controls and you can list all your all the different security things that you have in place, but you don't know how things are really going to go down until the actual event occurs. So we would give those opportunities um, so we can understand where that was at. And then if you fast forward, you know, a couple of years ago, the Institute for Internal Auditor um, organization put together some stuff and they actually had a magazine published, um, you know, a couple of years ago where somebody had an article that talked about uh, war gaming for internal audit. And really what this stems out of is the board of directors are seeing these breaches in the news. They're seeing things like what Brian Krebs reported this past week on Pfizer. They're seeing things like Cheddar's Kitchen, you know, company being hacked or Panera Bread. And they're wondering in the back of their heads, what would happen if that was the company that I'm on the board for? If that was my company, how would my company fare? They want to know, you know, if, if something happens to company X, if something happens to Target or Home Depot, like how does that relate to my business? Could that happen to me? And that's where Wargaming can start to help your company specifically. You can actually go through and do this on your own. You can spin up your own internal team and make it ad hoc and you can assign kind of like a tiger team, a couple people from IT or a couple people from audit or a couple people from information security, or you can just outsource it to IT audit or to the group that you want. And really the idea is to look at what happened and then find out how you can recreate that in your environment to see if you're vulnerable. And as a quick example, you look at JP Morgan Chase a couple of years ago and they had an insider threat. They had somebody that was basically downloading account data and then trying to turn around and sell that on all their customers or a certain segment of their customers. So after that Wargaming initiative, that was one of the ones that I chose to do where we said, hey, we're gonna to put together a letter with HR. It's gonna be a get out of jail free card and we are going to make a member of you know, the company as a insider threat. You're gonna be deputized to be under the internal audit umbrella, basically making sure that you don't get in trouble for participating and you don't have a choice. <laughs> it's part of your job now. You've been You've been selected either because you're a domain administrator or because you're in finance or because of the level of access that you have. Uh, generally, we choose multiple. And we would then say, okay, you know, Jill and John and Joe, uh, you know, one of you is a database admin, one of you is a domain administrator, and one of you works in finance and has sensitive information on all of our customers, you know, independently telling each of them exactly what they're going to do at what time of day and where they're going to send the data and looking at DLP controls, looking at, okay, you're going to email the stuff out. Okay, next day you're going to try using USB drives. The next day you're going to try to keep doing these things. And then at the end of the engagement, you can go to the board and say, hey, like this is what happened at JP Morgan based on the details that we know from the media and what, what limited information we have. We chose to do a war game initiative to find out how susceptible we are and either the war game, you know, was a success in terms of all the controls were, that were right. People tried to exfiltrate information that was very sensitive and the security controls or DLP controls stopped it. Or the war game was successful and we found out that, hey, we actually have some opportunities for improvement. These things need to be modified so that database admins can't do this or, you know, system admins can't do, can't do that. 
So it's an opportunity to look at where your gaps really are. Until you do a war game or until you do something along those lines, you don't really know the extent. And I even feel that way strongly from a red team perspective. You know, if you look at red teaming from a, a or a pen testing perspective, you know, you have people that are inside the network doing pen testing or you have an external pen test. They're still not in that role. They don't have the knowledge about how the company really works. And to have real insiders, real people that know how the company works get to be participating in this and to say, actually, I also have access to the finance data from this, this, and this. And it's stuff that the pen testing team or red team don't know because they're not in that role. So you get to see lots of different vantage points and you get to include lots of employees to make a big impact to the defenses of your company. So I think wargaming is something that all companies should do. You know, whether that be part of the internal audit function or information security role, or if it were to be a specialized tiger team, but it can actually add a lot of value to your company. Sounds like it's just another great tool to have in our toolkit of how do we understand our vulnerabilities? What are the threats to our information systems and our data? And I don't think there's as many folks who are as familiar with wargaming and using those case studies, learning from the trials of others to try to reduce the, the threat in our own environments. It's another great idea, Rob. I love it. You're giving us a lot of really good food for thought in this podcast. Now let's hear more from Aaron Pritz as he describes what TrustMap is in his own words. The other parts of my job is with program maturity. Um, some really nice things that the product's doing to you know, rate yourself via the control owners that actually own controls. And again, very interactive assessment tools to kind of rate yourself and rate your program and be able to see, you know, are you moving the, the ball or not? I think over-investing in anything and everything and having tons of funding that doesn't really get spent effectively is a problem in security. So you've got to really measure where you're moving the needle and really align that to your portfolio and program management, which you can also do in TrustMap. What is TrustMap? I would really say it's the framework alignment of GRC into the ability to do assessments. Um, I think it really does a lot of the things that GRC wanted to do, but again, more, and in less time and far less money. It's all the portfolio and program management that currently in InfoSec groups are cobbled together through Microsoft Project, SharePoint, and Excel tracking, and PowerPoint status updates. Um, and then it's also program maturity measurement, which Right now, a lot of programs, including my prior program, we were basically doing everything in Excel and PowerPoint to try to keep tabs on where are we pushing the needle, where not. And again, spending hours and weeks and months um, working on some of the stuff that I saw right out of the box in the first 30 minutes of the demo of TrustMap. So those are a few of the thoughts that I would say um, why I'm so excited about TrustMap and why I would be, you know, if I go back to a corporate security leadership job why I would be coming out of the gate with that versus trying some of the things that I've already tried and, and, and weren't overly happy with. Remember, listeners of the podcast can schedule a free trial of TrustMap at trustmap.com slash business. Now let's get back to the show. Are there any other takeaways for our audience of cybersecurity and business leaders that you want to share? Any last thoughts that you have? I, I really think, um, honestly, the partnership aspect is the thing that, that goes um, kind of unnoticed or untalked about. 
Um, back to you talked about what IT audit and security and IT can do together collectively. I really think it needs to be, you know, one of those things where you're leveraging synergy. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that if you know that your internal audit team is going to be doing an audit of pick a subject, whether it be database security or network segmentation or data, DLP, you know, whatever area they're auditing, you know, the information technology leaders and the CISO and his team probably already have an idea of how things are in some of those environments. And when you already know some things have some gaps, you know, one of the things you can do is say, hey, here's what we already know. This is kind of the state of the union before you start doing an audit. We really want you to add value by taking our areas where we know we have opportunities and then expanding into these specific areas. Because that way you're not, you know, wasting time and you can leverage the resources and limited resources the company has dedicated to that to help. Uh, and I think the other thing, too, is um, IT audit can do consulting. You know, if, if you want to leverage them from that capacity, they can help you solve problems with resources that aren't assigned to your team. That's a, another big area uh, that a lot of people aren't taking advantage of and a lot of companies that I know of. Uh, and then the last one is IT. I mean, really, this isn't stated enough, but if you do information technology well, if you have if you have gold disk images, if you have a standard baseline of how Windows systems and Linux systems and routers and switches and firewalls should be configured, and you've standardized your environment to be secure, and if you have standard processes for patching and for doing things the right way, it makes information security's job really easy because they know exactly what to expect. They know what the normalized environment's going to look like. And if information security can do their job easily, and if they can easily detect things, it makes the response times quicker. And when that happens, it makes internal audit jobs quicker. You have a well-greased oil machine that's able to function and protect the enterprise. So as you get those, those core CSC top 20 controls down, and as you get the IT controls to be standardized, and as you get these things working right, it makes the entire process from A to Z, whether that be from building a system, deploying it, provisioning, setting up access, deprovisioning, you know, the whole gamut of things, that is what will make a company have a, a solid information security program overall. And I guess I, last I would, I would touch on the DevOps aspect, which we haven't really talked about, Ron, but the DevOps aspect is making sure that you bake security into the applications that your company might be building or that you might be contracting out to have built and making sure those are done at the get-go because trying to backdate that and create applications or build security then later on adds a significant expense. And it's also hard because then you also have to update libraries and other things and it makes it so that you have to work so much harder to defend the middle layer Sometimes we'll call it middleware, but it makes it harder to defend the stack that the stuff's running on. So it's not just patching Microsoft. Now you have to make sure that if you update Java, it doesn't break how the application was written and the Java instance that it requires, if that makes sense. So it's looking at the, the whole you know, security development lifecycle and how that bakes into application development from the beginning rather than at the end of the process. There's just so many different areas we need to be aware of, but that's why we need to be able to collaborate within the other groups in a business, whether it's IT, security, 
business leaders as well as IT audit. We all have the same goals in mind as you brought up earlier. We want the business to be successful. We want to reduce that potential for any types of a, a security incident, whether it's a breach or malware or ransomware, you name it. It's all a collaborative process and it's continual education. And together we can all develop the solutions uh, for solving our tough cybersecurity problems. Thank you for your time today, Rob. This has been very educational. I can tell you're passionate about IT audit, security, and education. Enjoyed having you on and I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thanks, you too, Ron. This has been the Business of Security podcast. Thank you, listeners, for joining me today. Please come back for more thought-provoking conversations from security leaders. Thanks for listening to the Business of Security podcast. A special thanks to today's guest, Rob Baldy. Our host today was Ron Warner. Connect with Ron on LinkedIn and learn more about his company, RWX Security Solutions, online at rwxsecurity.com. Our next podcast episode features Tanya Jenka, Senior Cloud Advocate at Microsoft. You've been listening to the Business of Security podcast, and that's a wrap.